0: Hi, I'm Molly and I'm Robin, and this is Home is Where the Murder Is. And today we are talking about da, 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 John List. Who? John Emil or Emil? Evil. 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 Evil List. He's an evil, evil man. I'm sure a lot of people know about who John List is, but. If you don't, this guy's a dick. (laughs) He did some things that weren't the best choices in life. No. Yeah. Yeah. I just actually, so we originally did this episode on November 9th, which was the 51st anniversary of his crime. But I just now recently finished an audible book um, about the John List case. And it's funny because it's like still fresh in my mind, so that we do- now we're doing it again. It's like, oh yeah, I learned okay. I learned even more about it as I finished that book. But before I couldn't uh, I couldn't finish the book before I had to talk about it because I was really heated. I get mad about things. Yeah, well I mean when people are basically the worst humans ever, it's yeah. easy to get mad about it. Yeah. Okay, and just a couple of things. Oh, you're gonna turn that off. Those yeah. Say you probably can hear our heater in the back. It's we're gonna, cold. We're gonna turn that off it's like six degrees outside so you know or did it warm up and i just don't feel like it has okay she's not gonna answer that okay well i'm coming back oh, oh well yeah. it's gonna get up to like 25 today i think or something wow. like that so real hot Real okay, babe so we're Keep in late. the basement with our blankies and i've got a cup of tea molly's got her layers on mm-hmm. we're good to go yeah. so sit back join us while we discuss the monstrous acts of john list here we go (laughs) so what did john list do well john list murdered his entire family on november 9th 1971 i wrote 2022 but that but was it. not it. it was 19... That was the anniversary. Oh, that's, that's probably right. why you wrote okay, that. Okay, but I'm pretty sure.
1: Yeah, 1971.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, All right. Okay. We and Here we go. All right, off to a good start. Okay, so who was John List? John List was born John Frederick List. <laughs> no, he wasn't. He might have been, but I'm really, I'm really struggling here. <laughs> So anyway, do it again. So no, do the (laughs) here. Oh, so here we go. John List was born to John Frederick List and Alma List on September seventeenth, nineteen twenty-five, in Bay City, Michigan. The List family were very strict Lutherans, which will later come into play. John graduated from high school in nineteen forty-three and soon after enlisted in the army. One year later, John's father passed away, leaving a good amount of money to Alma, lucky, which she's put into saving into a savings account. John served as a lab tech during the World War II and was discharged in 1946. He went on to earn a bachelor's degree in business administration and a master's in accounting from U- the University of Michigan. So, he was smart. He was smart and very promising. I well, mean, and yeah, I mean, he had degrees. He you know, he had a master's. I mean, so, I mean, it's not like he, he, wasn't, a, he wasn't a pile of shit. No, I mean, yet. But, like, <laughs> he he had stuff going for yeah. him. It's not like he couldn't make something of himself. Exactly. Right. Exactly, yeah. He also went on to become a second lieutenant through the ROTC. Um, John met Helen Morris Taylor in Virginia while he was stationed there in the Army. She was a war widow and had one daughter from her first marriage. Helen's sister described her as a very outspoken with no filter and felt that her personality overpowered John, who was known to be calm and quiet. She described the two as night and day. Which sometimes works. You balance each other out, right? True. But as somebody who's outgoing and has no filter, I find that anyone who's shy that is around me, I... Dominate. Dominate the heck out of them. Intimidate, dominate, just take him out,
1: <laughs> destroy. Which, which
0: is tough for a woman to have that personality because we're not, especially this time of, in oh, this right, time of. Now, nowadays, <laughs> it's like yes, girl power. Remember how earlier we said how many strokes am I having today? You're struggling. I struggle think I You get... got hit by the struggle bus. I we said earlier that I think I have a lot of strokes throughout the day. And I'm beginning to really think that there's something or something <laughs> going on here. Something with your um, synapses not firing at all cylinders. Synapses. Yeah, that's I Synapses. It. So Helen has been described a few different ways by several people. It appeared she was an ill woman suffering from syphilis, which she got from her first husband. Yikes. Ugh. She was a heavy drinker, which, of course, can be a shit show for someone who's outgoing, unfiltered, and opinionated. Yep. I know from experience. Do you feel that? I am triggered by this statement. Do you feel that in your core? It is 100% who I am. Yeah, John often found his wife to be embarrassing while she was drinking. I swear, Helen is my, is my spirit is, animal. Is that you, actually, Helen? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's not funny, but it's, it's not funny, but it is funny. Uh, oh, I even wrote in here. Sounds like a, a lot like 24-year-old Robin. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. To others, Helen was kind, and the friends of the List children remember her as a sweet woman who did her best to be a good mother, but her illness limited her. People said they felt she drank to mask her pain. Helen spent a lot of time in bed due to her illness and eventually didn't even bother with drinking because it didn't do anything for her. Which is really sad because if you think about that, what she must have been going through... That's an awful way to live your life. Yeah. You know? Yep. So, um, John and Alma married on December 1st, 1951, and they had three children together while they were living in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Eventually, they moved to New Jersey, as John had taken a job as a vice president of a bank in New Jersey, sorry, in Jersey City. So, again, vice I'm, president of a bank. I mean, I'm not even a vice president of a bank. Oh, goals, you know? Yep. John had a very well paying job when they moved to New Jersey making a 25,000 making 25,000 a year. Up until that point he had made similar amounts, but he and Helen were never never able to save due to Helen's need for an extravagant lifestyle and for John's need to please his family. So she was a little bougie, you know, you know, right? Uh-huh. She must have liked her antique too. You know, expensive and difficult, right? Oh, my God. The more and more we talk about how the more I'm convinced that that's... I, I was reincarnated from that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you never know. That's no. probably why I really don't like John Liss too. But you ain't got that syphilis. Thank goodness. So, Thank I mean, that God. died, went with her. <laughs> that went with her. And didn't really oh. resurrect itself. Golly. So. So John always felt that he could buy his family's love, which is what led them to their home at 431 Hillside Avenue in Westfield, New Jersey. Fun fact, Bon Jovi's from New Jersey. That doesn't have a lot to do with this already. (laughs) (laughs) The property that captured the interest of John and Helen List was at the time the most expensive home in the neighborhood. It was a 19-room, three-story mansion, but it was in dire need of repairs. The main level featured a library that John used as his office, a kitchen with a butler's pantry. I love a good butler's I would pantry. I love butler's Honestly. pantry. Honestly. A dining room, grand ballroom, which featured a stained glass Tiffany skylight that was so large it nearly took over the entire ceiling. Unknown to John List, but that skylight was valued at $100,000 back in the 70s. Which is approximately six hundred and fifty thousand in today's value. Wow! Just the skylight alone. Also on the main level was a gorgeous staircase that led to the second floor. This level featured five bedrooms. There was also five bathrooms and ten fireplaces within the home. That's too many. <laughs> he was Can too many. you imagine trying to keep all those fires alone going at once? once? Well, and also that's and they'd have to hire yeah. it, someone, a fireman. And this is the realtor in me, but um. The cost of having your chimney cleaned and inspected is, like, $300 minimum. Well, you, I mean, back then. No, it, I know, but, but like, just in general. Like, even just to think about someone paying to clean and inspect 10 not that I think that he really gave a shit. Do you think that this house had so many fireplaces, though, because of when it was built? Oh, and yeah. They, I mean, and that's how they kept That's how they kept but, warm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're going to build a house that big, you got to have a way to keep it warm. 100%. I agree. Do you think... That John ever lit every fire at once. That is a great question. Yep, something to ponder. Yep, I don't think so. Oh my god, do you hear that? I sure do. Jeez, Jeez. my stomach is mad. That burger. Oh yeah, we had Culvers. Culvers is better than Portillos. I don't care what anyone says. They're wow. If anyone listens to this, they're going to get We just We just lost listeners for sure. <laughs> Only Illinois ones. Someone just threw their phone out. Only Illinois ones. That's all right. Um, okay. Some with uh so the back to the fireplaces, some had wood accents and the rest had marble. The third level were the servants' quarters, which featured two bedrooms, a living room, and a kitchen, which is like the size of my house. Right. That's so that's their their servants' quarters. So yep. that's nice. In nineteen sixty five the home was valued at a hundred thousand dollars. But because it needed so many repairs, it was only listed at 57,000, which you, like, can you? Yeah. I mean, think about that. I can't even. Oh my gosh. Like that massive of a home. $57,000 doesn't even get you land. No. Oh gosh. It gets you like a a, a third of a plot. It gets you a car <laughs> not, not even hardly anymore. <laughs> like it's just crazy. Um, after it had been sitting on the market for quite a while, John offered them $50,000 and it was immediately accepted. So a 19 room mansion was sold for $50,000. He didn't have enough for the down payment. So he asked his mother to help at which she agreed as long as she could live at the home as well. At the time, Alma and Hel- Helen did not get along. Um, Alma felt that Helen was not good enough for John mm well I mean that's, that's, typical mother-in-law. that's a typical mother That's the mother with it you know yeah. like it's their baby boy right yeah and yeah. yeah I mean we have sons yep We know we're gonna be judgy yep but Helen agreed to it because she so badly wanted the house the family put 20 percent down and the taxes per year at the time were 1,040 dollars per year that is lower than my mortgage payment yep and the mortgage was $300 per month that's lower than my car payment there it is guys <laughs> had to be alive in the 70s. Uh, so with that, the family left their homes in Michigan and moved to New Jersey. The move was a happy one, and John and Helen eventually became closer than ever. It, I like this part. It is said that they were spending a lot more time together and going over restoration plans for their new home. They both had the same vision of bringing it back to life, and it seemed to be rekindling their relationship. That's really nice. Yeah. At least for a short while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, I also did, uh, read that they grab, uh, the neighbors that live nearby had pictures of what the property used to look like before it kind of started to go downhill. And that's what Alma and John were using to kind of like, they had them laid out, like, let's make this room look like this yeah. again and things like that. So yeah. that was kind of cool. I like that. Eventually they ended up putting those into a, um, a scrapbook and John that comes into play later on. Wow. Um, I don't even know if I even mentioned what John necessarily did. With- oh, yeah, he killed his whole family. You guys know that. Um, so, eventually, that yeah. comes into play. Um, Alma, on the other hand, did not enjoy her time um, at what is known as Breeze Knoll. Is that your son? Yeah. Is he purposely doing that? Because know. he knows that we're down here trying to make magic happen. Right. This sounded bad. It's just. It's just the noises. You know what's funny, though? It's just I can totally see him just being in his own world. And just oh. he's just, like, kicking yeah. his feet. Yeah, just having the time life. of his life, like, watching his show. Yep. So yep. that's funny. Um, so, yeah, if you hear little child feet, it's just Keaton. It's fine. It's not a ghost child or no. anything. Um, so anyway, so the the property was known as Breeze Knoll, and Alma did not enjoy her time there. She had written her friends back home mentioning that her years in New Jersey were the unhappiest of her life. Aw, that's very funny. She was lonely and really only had her family and fellow church patrons to talk with. The List children seemed to have settled into the neighborhood just fine and seemed to have somewhat normal lives, with a few exceptions. Neighbors noticed soon after they moved in that John was not very friendly. When it came to his children, he preferred that they did not interact with the other kids in the neighborhood, but he tolerated it to an extent. Neighbor kids would describe the home as being spacious, but hardly furnished and John as cold and rude. He never, yeah, that would be weird. Like you walk into a house and there's like hardly anything in there. I think about that all the time when we're showing properties. I'm like, this is a huge home. Do you have enough furniture for it? Yeah. And then it's like, you have to buy more furniture to put in. So not only are you, you know, usually spending more Mm -hmm. on a home, right? Mm -hmm. Usually, I mean, people downgrade, but I mean, overall, you're usually, spending more and then if you're getting a big house how often are you even in those rooms right i mean let's use your house for an example actually we're in every room of your house because we move around a lot Yes, wherever the kids are we go to a different room we have we have the children and the dogs your house is a bad example we use my house when was the last time i was in my home days ago days um he never acknowledged his neighbors and would even go as far as chasing the kids off his lawn yeah, sounds fun. Get off my lawn. Exactly. <laughs> now you just channeled John. It sound, I bet you I sounded just like it. I bet you that was it. Yep. Overall, John came off as cold and detached from anyone around him. He went to work, church, and bought his family all he could to buy their love, which is sad because there are people who knew him in Michigan that mentioned how he was a very hands-on dad. Hmm. But as Helen's condition worsened, and the kids got older, that seemed to all fade away. Yeah, that's too bad. It's like he, it was like, it was like borderline, like he would have just maybe just been a little cranky, but something just Uh switched. Well, and it goes to show you that over time, people change. Yep. So this next part is what I call the unraveling of John List. Oh, no. So John's position at the bank as VP was not what he expected it to be. It turned out to require a lot of social skills, which John clearly did not have. Which, like, if you think about it. Yeah. yeah. And you're probably having to go to a lot of meetings, a lot of, like, events, you're I would bank. think. You're the face of a bank. Right. Like, you're yeah. pretty much yeah. everyone, when they see you, they think of the bank. Absolutely. So, if you're not a personable yeah. person, right. right, like, you're yeah. not going to do well. Exactly. So, after one year, the company let him go. He was embarrassed to tell his family so john would get up every morning get ready for work drive to the train station and sit and read a book during what would have been his normal working hours so i get being embarrassed and not wanting to tell your family but like just going to a different job then well and this went on for six months right like i'm sure there were other jobs even if it wasn't like what he was thinking at least he could have been providing for his family yeah. instead of just yeah basically crumbling and making exactly everything. he just made Awful. everything worse so after the six months of sitting around and reading books <laughs> i wonder what books he read um he did end up taking another position but the pay was thirteen thousand less than what he was making before it wasn't long after he took this job in 1967 that he was laid off again when the company decided to relocate mm. during this time of unemployment john was facing serious financial issues He had begun taking money out of his mother's savings account, which he had access to as he was named the PR of the account. Mm -hmm. He did it in small enough amounts that she would not notice. John also began selling items around the home and was able to secure a work-from-home insurance sales job. From 1967 to 1971, John began a downward spiral financially and mentally. So we're going to get up to 1971, but I'm going to go over the family members real quick. So let's talk about Helen. She was 40, and this is in 1971. She was 46 years old and was so ill by this point that she rarely came out of her bed. She and John had also become so disgusted with one another that they barely spoke. John resented her, and she felt that he wasn't man enough for her. She compared him to her first husband often and would berate him daily. Which is sad because, like, it sounded like... When they moved there, they, you know, like, they were trying. But, like. Yeah. And it, it is sad because it's not even just John's recollection of that happening. It's also other people saw yeah. it happening. I guess it was happening at parties and things like that. Yeah. So, we all are human. Like, that's awful. Right. So, I don't think she deserved what she got. But well, it, I mean, her personality was yeah. so different than his, too. Right. So, it was probably very, deme- like, very, yeah, yeah degrading yeah. to him and, like. Yeah. yeah. So his mother, Alma, was 84 years old and was still living in the third floor apartment and going to church a couple times a week. She had a close relationship with her grandchildren and had even made peace with Helen to an extent. So well, they, had a, they had a better relationship. With well, them. and it's nice that she had a good relationship with the grandchildren yeah. too. Yeah. Patricia, known as Pat or Patty, was 16 years old and a junior in high school. She was described as a dreamer and going through a re- rebel phase she joined the theater against her father's wishes and was very good at acting she had also begun telling people that she was a witch and was pulling further away from the lutheran church i bring this up because that comes into play a little bit about with what happens hmm. john list jr jj he was 15 years old tall and a bit nerdy but also into sports he was active in soccer and was very tall from his age frederick the youngest was 13 years old and in boy scouts He and JJ were best friends and were inseparable, described by many neighbors and friends, that they were just a pair. Throughout 1971, the kids were aware that they were having financial troubles, and they all began working jobs to help cover expenses. Mm -hmm. Their relationship with their father had also shifted, especially the one between father and daughter. Pat had been blossoming into a normal teenage girl in the 1970s, which worried John. He believed that her theater involvement and overall personality would keep her from getting into heaven. Don't like that. Nope. I think that, um, I, I like how they, they call her a rebel when she was just like acting like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's sources that say that she, you know, tried marijuana. Um, they did get picked up, her and her friends did get picked up from the cops one night for being out. Um, but it sounds like they were just picked up and then, uh, for being out after curfew or something. Well, and, and it's, then we're it's a typical so. teenage thing. But but it's nothing out of the ordinary. Oh, yeah. And it's the 70s. Yeah. like. Yeah. I, that, I swear that wouldn't be happening if we were just sitting down yeah. here and not recording. Yeah. It cracks me up. Yeah. That's fine. And we, it's funny because we didn't want to do this over the bar because we thought it was going to be too right. loud. Yeah. It's cute. All right. it whatever. It's character. It is. By October 1971, John was at the end of his rope. He was so far in debt, and the family was sure to lose the house and go on to welfare. He had three mortgages on the property. Yikes. One was $41,446. The other was $1,562. And the third one was $6,513. That is a lot. All three were months behind, and at the time, he had only brought in $5,000 selling insurance. Ooh. Yeah. With the towering mountain of debt consuming his life and the fear of his family not getting into heaven, by the end of October, John List had made the decision to murder his family. I feel like there were other options that could have happened, you know? Like maybe just divorcing and leaving. Or even just leaving. Just leave. Like if you were, if you, I mean, his statements are that he was ashamed. His job was to provide for his family. He couldn't do it he didn't feel like his family was going to make it into heaven. Like all, he had all these excuses and we'll get into those, but just leave. Right. It, it just, okay. And we'll get into why I, why I, I feel that way in a little bit, but. Okay. So, oh, here. So I'm going to explain how he killed them. I didn't write this down because I have it memorized because I've talked about it so many times. So here's how John Liss murdered his family. The morning of November 9th, 1971, um, John woke up, got dressed in his finest attire, which he always wore the same thing. He always wore a suit, um, a black suit with a thin tie, whether he was mowing the lawn, going to work, whatever, he always had his suit on. So as always, he got that and the kids went off to school and he waited around the home until his wife, Alma, came downstairs to have her toast and coffee. While she was sitting at the kitchen table, John came up from behind her and shot her right above the ear. Um, Shot her right in the head. She fell dead right there in the kitchen. Um, Then John drug her dead body into the ballroom, which was where that Tiffany glass ceiling was. Upstairs was Alma on the third floor. So John went upstairs to Alma's, um, So Helen was first. What did I say? Alma. Yeah. Oh, see? This is why there's two of us. Yeah. Helen, Helen. his wife, was first. I apologize to anyone that heard that. Oh. Oh. Alma, his mother, was upstairs in her apartment. He marched on up there. Okay. Now stop it. Marched on up there, and while she was upstairs, she said something along the lines of, John, is that you? I heard a bang downstairs. Do you know what that was? John pulled the gun out. His mother saw and began walking towards him, telling him no. Mm-hmm. He ended up shooting her right then and there, and she also died. He then went to go move her body to be near Helen's, but she was too heavy, so she only got as far as a closet in the hallway, and he shoved his mother in the closet. Which, like, it didn't seem like they had a bed. And they didn't, from what he goes on to say after he is caught, essentially, um, they, he talks about how he loved his mother dearly, but he chose to kill her because he didn't think she would be able to handle what he had done, what he was doing. Yeah, I mean, okay, but yeah, Yeah. that's just sad. (laughs) so funny. Death is not funny, the child is so, um, so that's, the, so the two have passed away at this point. Now, John, after killing his fam, his, his mother and his wife, thought the next logical thing to do would be to have a sandwich. So... You get hungry. Apparently. That's what I've heard. It was probably about lunchtime. Mm-hmm. So he made himself a sandwich with his bl- wife's blood all over the floor. And, uh, he went upstairs, changed his clothes. And while changing, he gets a phone call from Pat, who's at school, saying... She doesn't feel well, and he asked if he would come and bring her or take her home, which his description is that that put a wrench in his plans, but he would do it anyway. So he goes to the school and he gets her and, they, and brings her home. Now, when they get home, he quickly runs inside the house before she does. When Pat walks into the home, she opens the door, takes a couple steps in the front door, and John shoots her in the back of the head. Kills her instantly. So, which and like, were there any neighbors around? It doesn't sound like anyone heard anything. I guess people were maybe Maybe. at work and school, right? Right. So he kills his daughter um, and drags her body next uh, uh, onto a sleeping bag next to the his uh, next to her mother. So now he spends the rest of the day running errands, cleaning up some loose ends, sending out mail to. The school is saying the kids were going on an extended vacation, um, canceling the mail delivery temporarily, um, telling the church that they were going on an extended vacation, covering his tracks to make it look like he's taking his family out of town for a family emergency. Once that is all done, his two sons uh, make it their way home. So um, JJ had, now there's two accounts for JJ. One said that he was at work and he realized that Pat wasn't coming into work. So he came home. The other one said that um, that he was at soc- a soccer game and John attended that soccer game. So mm-hmm. I've heard it both ways in numerous different sources. So I'm not sure if there was actual soccer game or if JJ was at work. But regardless, the one that comes home next is young Fred, the 13-year-old. Okay. So Fred comes home from school, walks in the house. John kills him the same way. shoots him right as he walks through the front door. He drags his body over there. So now we get up to JJ. So again, I don't know if... um, So JJ gets picked up either at soccer or he gets picked up at work. But regardless, John does the same thing where he runs into the home and hides behind the door. The difference here is that this time when JJ walks in, he turns and sees his dad holding the gun. And he quickly puts his arms up to defend himself. So he gets shot, but it doesn't kill him. So then John goes on, so then a struggle ensues, and John goes on to shoot his son ten times. So awful. Yes. I mean, it's all awful, but, like, can you imagine, like, his son, like, his last, vi- like, what he mm-hmm. saw was his father shooting him. Yes. Didn't kill him, and then continuing to shoot him. Yep. So, um, and he moves his son's body into the ballroom as well. So now at this point, the entire family is murdered. Uh, John once again changes his clothes. He goes upstairs and he goes to bed. Just tired. Yeah. Just tired. Um, it's it hungry and tired. So, um, John had sat down and wrote letters to the close family, like Helen's sister, Jean, in the letters, he explains that he did what he had to do because of the financial situation they were in, and he didn't want the kids to experience poverty. Um, so death is much better. Yeah. yeah. So he um, sends letters. Uh, I'm sorry. He writes out letters. He doesn't send these because obviously then that would tip them off that the family's been killed. But these letters are, are placed in his office. Um, uh, John also wrote a confession letter to his pastor. Um. And I'm going to read it real quick uh, because it's, it's important and it's frustrating and angry and just, yeah. yeah. So dear pastor Ray Winkle, I am sorry to add this additional burden to your work. I know that what has been done is wrong from all that I have been taught and that any reasons that I might give will not make it right. But you are the one person that I, that I know that while not condoning this will at least possibly understand why I felt that I had to do this one, I wasn't earning anywhere near enough to support us. Everything I tried seemed to fall to pieces. True, we could have gone bankrupt and maybe gone on welfare. Two, but that brings me to my next point. Knowing the type of location that one would have to live in, plus the environment for the children, plus the effect on them knowing that they were on welfare was just more than I thought they could and should endure. I know they were willing to cut back, but this involved a lot more than that. Three, With Pat being so determined to get into acting, I was so fearful as to what that might do to her continuing to be a Christian. I am sure it wouldn't have helped. Four, also with Helen not going to church, I knew this would harm the children eventually in their attendance. I had continued to hope that she would begin to come to church soon, but when I mentioned her that Mr. Jetsy—excuse my language if that's not how it's done— said he wanted to pay her an elder's call. She just blew up and said she wanted her name taken off the church rolls. This is me, not John talking, but again, she was in a lot of pain. Yeah. So I'm sure the church and going to church was the least of her worries. Right. She was just trying to basically get through today. Exactly. Uh, again, this could have an adverse result on the children's continued attendance to church. So that is the sum of it. If any of, If any one of these had been the condition, we might have pulled through, but this was just too much. At least I'm certain that all have gone to heaven now. If things had gone on, who knows if this would be the case. Of course, mother got involved because doing what I did to my family would have been a tremendous shock to her at this age. Therefore, knowing that she's also a Christian, I felt it best that she be relieved of the troubles of this world that would have hit her. After it was all over, I said some prayers from the hymn book. That was the least I could do. Yeah. Now for the final arrangements. Helen and the children have all agreed that they would prefer to be cremated. Please see to it that the costs are kept low. For mother, she has a plot at the Frankenmuth Church Cemetery. Please contact Mr. Herman Shellcast, Route 4, Vassar, Michigan. He's married to a niece of mothers and knows what arrangements are to be made. She always wanted Reverend Herman Zender of Bay City to preach the sermon, but he's not well. Also, I'm leaving some letters in your care, please send them on and add whatever comments you think appropriate. The relationships are as follows, Miss Lydia Meyer, mother's sister, Miss Ava Meyer, Helen's mother, and Jean Seifert, Helen's sister. Also I don't know what will happen to the books and personal things, but to the extent possible I'd like for them to be distributed as you see fit. Some books might go to the school or church library. Originally, I had planned for this on November 1st, All Saints Day, but travel arrangements were delayed. I thought it would be an appropriate day for them to get to heaven. As for me, please let me be dropped from the congregation rolls. Really? I mean, yeah, I would say. (laughs) I leave myself in the hands of God's justice and mercy. I don't doubt that he is able to help us, but apparently he saw fit not to answer my prayers the way that I hoped that they would be answered. This made me think that perhaps it was for the best, as far as the children's souls are concerned. I know that many will only look at the additional years they could have lived, but if finally they, but if I fi- if finally they were no longer Christians, what would be gained? Also, I am sure many will say, "How could anyone do such a horrible thing?" My only answer is that it isn't easy, and was only done after much thought. Pastor, Miss Norris may possibly be reached 802 Pleasant Hill Drive, Elgin, home of her sister. One thing, it may seem cowardly to have always shot from behind, but I didn't want any of them to know, even at the last second, that I had to do this to them. John got hurt more because he seemed to struggle longer. The rest were immediately out of pain. John didn't consciously feel anything either. Please remember me in your prayers. I will need them whether or not the government does its duty as it sees it. I am only concerned with making my peace with God, and of this I am assured because of Christ dying even for me. P.S. Mother is in the hallway in the attic, third floor. She was too heavy to move. John. Last note. Mom's in the closet. Real quick. Real quick. I got a little something else for you. She's in the closet. So good old John writes out his letters and leaves those and his guns in his desk. He then goes to bed, you know, sleeps in the where the dead bodies are. Sired. It's just so irritating. Oh. The next morning, he goes around the home and begins cutting his face out of all the family photos. That's so logical. And that's huh? great. Uh-huh. That's great. He then turned down the thermostat in the home, making it very cold. This is November in New Jersey, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I had to burp. <laughs> Oopsie-daisy. <a> <sighs> He turned on the lights and turned on classical music throughout the home's intercom system. He locked up, got in the car, and drove to JFK Airport, where he would park his car in long-term parking and never be seen again for 18 years. That's a pretty successful, um, I'm getting out of here. I was leading up to that. I wasn't going to tell anyone that didn't know the story. But he gets away with this for 18 years, folks. So you're, I bet you're wondering what happens with the bodies that are back at Breeze Knoll that John Bliss decided to stack up in the ballroom. Um, so one of the people that found, now there's a couple stipulations on what really happened here. Again, I've, heard, I've read and I've looked at different things, but Ed was the theater director and that was Pat's teacher. Pat had told her, theater teacher that she thought that her father was going to kill her because John had asked each family member how they wanted to be buried so Pat had a feeling something was coming Ed wrote it off as like you're just being dramatic you're a teenager you know like how many times does a teenager be like oh my god my dad's gonna kill me yeah just like that just like that so he uh when Pat when he found out that Pat was on an extended vacation he started to get Worried, um, especially because no one else seemed to be doing anything about it. Everyone was just like, nope, John told us, you know, everything's fine. He tried going to the church. The church ignored him because he's a theater teacher. And back then that was not okay. Double. Mm, Yeah. So John, uh, so Ed apparently broke into the, the list home through the basement window. He said when he walked into the house, he walked upstairs. It was very cold. And it was, and um, and this is, I'm sorry, about a month after um, the murders occurred. And he walked through the home, very cold. The classical music was playing. And that's when he saw the dead bodies in the ballroom. His statement is that he freaked out, left, went home and told his wife. And they agreed they were just not going to talk about it. Which isn't probably a great plan. No. I mean, I know that he broke into the home. Yeah. but. Yeah. I, I mean, mean yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so what ended up happening then was, I guess, everybody went back. Now, by everybody, I say a neighbor, a police officer, Ed, and Ed was saying, you know, I think if you go over here, you can get in through the basement, things like that. So it's hard to say, like, police are saying they he, that never happened. He said it was, I believe he passed away. So there's no way we can even, like, find out. But We can't call him. Can't give him a call. So they, the cops end up going into the home, through the basement to do a welfare check, and that's when they find the bodies. Um, so that was on December 7th, 1971, so a little uh, before a month after the, the murders occurred. The town is horrified, obviously. Yeah. Um, family members uh, begin to get notified. Funeral, funeral arrangements were made for Helen and the kids. And they were buried at Fairview Cemetery in Westfield and almost flown to Michigan where she's buried in her plot. The manhunt for John List begins, but the trail is one month cold. So that where... can happen in one month. So, exactly. Yeah. So where did John List go? Well, here's a little timeline. On November 10th, 1971, he leaves his car at JFK Airport. November 22nd, 12 days later, using the name Robert P. Clark and giving a Denver Motel as his address. List applies for a social security card. Between 1972 and 1975, List, Clark, works as a cook for a hotel. Fun fact, Helen's family would at some point during this time stay at this exact hotel. It is very possible that John List made their dinner while they stayed there. Can you imagine what they thought once they found that out? Oh, it's super weird. Yeah. Okay, 1975 through 1977. List... Clark, begins to feel more secure in his new life, and he moves into central Denver, joins a Lutheran church, and begins a job at h and Block. In 1977, he meets Dolores Miller at a church picnic and begins dating her. November of 1985, John and Dolores get hitched. And up until that point, so from 77 to 85, she was very hesitant to marry him. They were just kind um, of just casually yeah. seeing each other? or Well, they were dating, but she just didn't want to marry yeah. him. So she gives in. So she had some sort of a feeling, is yeah. what you're saying. Something was like, I don't know. Yeah. In 1988, the couple moved to Midlothian, Virginia, and Clark takes a job as an accountant. In may, uh, On May 21st, 1989, America's Most Wanted airs a special episode on John List and uses an age progression sculpture made by forensic artist Frank A. Bender to show viewers what John may look like now. This was the first time it was ever used on national television, and boy, did it work. A tip is called in from a former Colorado neighbor of Robert Clark. She provides police with his new address in Virginia. Um, Fun fact about that episode of America's Most Wanted. John and his wife caught the end of the episode, and John was super nervous that Dolores would recognize him. Yeah, I mean... Um, If his cover was blown, he probably would have killed her, too. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, probably. Probably. Um, but she didn't, so they went about their night. <laughs> She's like, "Nope, yeah. seems good." On June 1st, 1989, John is arrested at work in Richmond, and his double life comes to an end. July 10th, 1989, John List is held on five million dollar bail, and he refuses to admit his true identity. He's like, "Not me. Nope. No way. Nope. Yep. Don't know what you're talking about." On April Fool's Day, 1990, testimony begins, and List finally admits his true identity. Like, but all in right. my in my. Mind, I'm like, but well, it's April Fool's Day. So then, did he go April Fools? I'm Robert Clark. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. See, oh, I even uh, yeah, because he uh, seems yeah. like such a funny guy. Like that. he just he loves a good time. He likes a good giggle. Yep, mm-hmm. his personality just shines through. It seems. Uh, John's defense was that he was not in his sane state of mind at the time of his murders. Obviously, but that doesn't. Yeah, I mean, he's just yeah. So on April 11th, 1990, the jury deliberates. On April 12, 1990, John List is convicted on five counts of murder and sentenced to five life sentences. Do not take them long. No. From a 2002 interview with John List. So, John, at 76 years old, states that he is awaiting being reunited with his family and is sure they will either have forgiven him upon his entrance to heaven. Yeah they will just not remember what he had done. I don't mean, I think that they'll remember how they got there. I yeah. think that's something that stays with you, probably. Yeah. Especially, so, like, if it's, like, such a violent light. Exactly. Like, dude. Come like, I, I think that God might be like, hey, so your husband, not a great guy. huh? Oopsie. <laughs> don't, don't, you know, trust that guy. Man. So he goes on to say that if we recognize one another, we will just go on and join one another's company like we did during the good times here on Earth. List states that he knows he broke one of the Ten Commandments, but feels that there was no choice, and he will be forgiven. Killed them to save them. hashtag yeah. Kill them to save, save them. So um, I don't think that that's how it works. Can you imagine if that was just the normal mentality? There'd be no. Well, left. I mean, that that's just. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. like that goes against everything that Christianity is. Like, you don't kill people to save them. Exactly. Like, and uh, for someone to think that they know better when someone's time well, is and up. Well, just says, It's like you're that's someone's life. Who are right. you to take someone's life away? Right. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. Um, List explains that he was brought up to provide for his family and he was not able to do that. He felt that after killing them, he would be able to ask for forgiveness and meet them in heaven. But if he killed himself, then he would not go to heaven. He truly felt that he could sin and then ask for forgiveness later and receive it. Yeah. This isn't about taking a chocolate chip cookie when you're not supposed right. to be having sweets. This is like the car- like the cardinal sin. Like Right. It, like you just, I don't think that if you murder an entire, your entire family, you're going to get to be with them in heaven. Exactly. Just I, to me, I don't believe that. I don't believe that, that either. I don't believe that either. And I don't know how anyone can logically think otherwise because it makes no sense it goes against but that's one of those but who's things to it, say Who's to say but to each their own with their beliefs but mm-hmm. not to the fact where it goes where you think that it's okay to kill your family true you, you can have your own beliefs but don't be a hypocrite you can't pick and choose when something applies to you and then it doesn't right anyway a psychiatrist who interviewed list after he was caught stated that he showed no signs of remorse and stood by what he did as the best thing for his family he came off as cold and for someone who was very religious seemed to have no soul hey john stated in 2002 that he was indeed remorseful and wished he had not done what he did yeah because had got caught right and now you're yeah in prison i'm sure you didn't give two shits when you were living your new life as bob clark he also went on to appeal his convictions stating that he had ptsd from the time he was in the military And the confession letter was a private letter to the pastor and should not have been used against him. Large eye rolls inserted here. Yeah. So this, again, goes back to my my biggest pet peeve is when someone takes the life of another person and then has the nerve to appeal a life sentence. You took someone's life. Yeah. And now you're thinking you have an argument to try to, to appeal your sentence. Yeah. Did the victims get a chance to appeal their sentence? Right. No. Anyway. And then the whole, don't write a confession letter if you don't want to be used against you. You fucking whatever. I hate, I don't like this guy. No, no, no. No. So he never won his appeals, obviously. And he did eventually die from pneumonia on March 21st, 2008 at the age of 82. Is that Danielle's birthday? 21st? Um, It might be. I think it is. Yeah, because, yeah, it's, it's the first day of spring. Yeah, that's Danielle's birthday. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Fun facts. Anyway, so I bet you're wondering what happened to Breeze Knoll. So the home sat empty for almost a year, awaiting its time to be auctioned. During this time, it was decaying, per the neighbors, due to the poor upkeep from John List and no one being there to care for it. Now, this is interesting to me. On August 30th, 1972, the home mysteriously caught on fire and it was proven to be arson, but the culprit was never found. Hmm. I think John did it. Yeah, I do. I think Trying for to, two reasons. Yeah. One, to get rid of the evidence. Yeah. And two, just to, you know, kind of like so, close that chapter. So maybe he lit all 10 fireplaces at the same it time. Did you yep. see what I did there? Yeah. And just let them go. Mm-hmm. Maybe. 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 But yeah, so I think John listed it. I've read other people say, like, no, they thought the neighbors did it because it was such an eyesore, and they just didn't like looking at where the murders happened. Very possible, too. But I like to take it a step further and believe that he came back, but whatever. Um, The home was completely destroyed in the fire, and the rubble was eventually raised, and the land was eventually sold for $36,100. There is now a beautiful home that sits where Breeze Knoll once stood. It is a five-bedroom, eight-bath home, 5,726 square feet, and it was built in 1974. The only similarity to Breeze Knoll is the positioning of the driveway and large front yard. So it was built pretty quickly after. Mm -hmm. Last but not least, the Tiffany stained glass skylight in the ballroom that laid above the bodies of the List family was valued at $100,000 in 1971 and could have easily been sold to bring the List family completely out of debt. John, however, did not know this and was not informed of this information until after he was arrested. Can you imagine he's like oh yeah oh that would have been good to yeah know. I can I can only imagine that that moment of like shit. yeah so I want to give a shout out real quick I read such a good book um it was called death sentence I didn't, well, I didn't read it I listened to it on audible where is it Mm-mm. I don't know how to work audible library ha <laughs> what where is it Yeah, it's called Death Sentence by Joe Sharkey. And it is very well put together. It is full of information. I mean, there's so much information that I wanted to like put into this podcast, but I couldn't because we would have been here for days. It is super good. Death Sentence by Joe Sharkey. Read it. Listen to it on Audible. You're going to love it. It is super informative about everything that happened with this case. You learn a lot about the kids. And Helen, and you um, learn a lot about um, John's second wife and the things she went through, and it's just so sad. And like, yeah, do we know what she's up to nowadays? So I'm not sure if she is still living at this point, but when she, this was, she was. She mm-hmm. was. Um, she was bombarded. Yeah. Um. From what I read, she was bombarded with a lot of media. Yeah. She didn't believe it at first when the. The fbi came to her i mean home. i'm sure that you're like no no way like yeah. that's you have the wrong person yeah and when john was arrested he kept telling her you know this is i'm bob clark like everything and um the crazy part is is that john had specific scars that were very that the FBI's like okay so your husband has this scar this scar scar she's like yep yeah. and then they're like okay cool so does john list and that was that moment of like oh my god yeah So, but it's really sad because she goes on to be constantly bombarded and harassed by people. We're talking, like, still to this day. It's very sad. So, anybody that's out there trying to, like, get a story on John List, just leave her alone. Like, she didn't choose this. No. It was already hard enough. I mean, you also hear in this book that her marriage to John wasn't always sunshine and rainbows. They had a lot of financial problems because of his stupidity I mean for somebody that was like well, I feel like it's not something that probably gets better so yeah. it's not like he like fixed his situation he just continued yeah. a situation yeah. and he couldn't hold a job things like that um, and then there's like other people that are in that book that talk about what their time working with him at the restaurant and that they felt he was a good guy and were shocked to find out about this so there's also um, interviews with uh, Helen's sister Jean so very it's a very good book very informative and i definitely suggest reading it or listening to it because you'll learn a lot more about this and the wtfs just keep on coming out yeah oh i'm sure so yeah yeah, that is the the murder of the list family so wow yep so um yeah make sure you uh follow us on spotify and iheartradio and soon to be other avenues but in the meantime follow us so you can keep up with our new episodes yeah and uh yeah that's the end and i'm gonna stop it yeah